It's Wednesday, you know what that means. Episode 25 of Culture Lust coming right at your face. I'm your host, James, joined tonight by Jones. How you doing? What's going on, man? I'm ready to talk about this movie. Chris, where you at, bro? Oh, oh, I'm in a very good place. I That's... also am ready to talk about this movie. <laughs> a little creepy, but hmm. just the way you said it. I mean, I'm, I'm happy you're in a good place, but you sound a little... Uh seductive if i might say so myself well that good place does happen to be in your closet it's called the pleasure zone anyway uh <laughs> tonight we're gonna be discussing uh the hateful eight it's our first quentin tarantino film oh my god uh i'm ex- I'm, I'm 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 speechless i'm excited i'm fucking i'm <laughs> fucking stoked man like this is gonna be so good this movie i kind of forgot about it and not in like a, a bad way, just I forgot to watch it because I didn't go to the theaters when it came out. And then I just, you know, it fell into the the, the ether or the, the nether or whatever you want to call it, the void. And then uh, I was like, holy shit, it's on Netflix. Like literally four or five days before Chris was like, hey, we're, this is our next movie. So super excited to talk about this one. Uh, Jones, what about you, man? You, yeah, you man. excited? <clears throat> yeah, because... When this movie came out, it was uh, it's kind of competing with Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Uh, so I too did not see it because I am a Star Wars whore, and I spent I saw the movie four times in theaters. You fucking dirty Star Wars <laughs> whore. Uh, so yeah, I was I was excited because I'm I've always wanted to sit down and just go like all Tarantino because when you do that. You just feel so dirty after watching his movies, so I just want to do it all like in a week and then not ever again. But I love, I love his movies, and I was so excited because like I, gonna, I've never. What are you, gonna, are you gonna shower in that week, or are you gonna really well, just? You gotta, pile you gotta on the dirt. fully commit. You got it full, full commitment. No change of underwear. No, you, no. you can't no. half-ass Tarantino. Right. <laughs> yeah, you have to full-ass Tarantino. I have to say the N word at least sixty five times oh. a day. <laughs> no, not, not well. I mean, you're the editor, so you can do whatever. But <laughs> no, I'm just saying uh, at home watching the oh, movie, like just, just in general, just throwing it out. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're a terrible person, Chris. What, are you excited, man? <laughs> We're excited. Are you excited? Uh, you're not. I hope excited. after we right, moving on. No, <laughs> with this episode. <laughs> Thanks. Like, I hope after we're done with this episode, we can still be friends. Okay. I mean, I'm not like in love with the I, film. It's a great film, I was, but I'm not in love I with was, it. I was curious. That's the best way to put it. Hmm. Going into it or? Yes, going into it, going into it, because I'd never seen it before. Right. And I have actually seen all of Tarantino's previous movies. With the exception of Django Unchained, it's the only one I haven't seen. And he is very hit or miss. Hmm. Like, I love Reservoir Dogs. Hate Kill Bill Volume 1. I loved Pulp Fiction. Death Proof was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I can agree on that one. It was pretty yep. bad. Uh, I really enjoyed Kill Bill Volume 2. Did not like Inglorious Bastards. Bastards. Yeah, I didn't I didn't care for it. I I really just so, it just didn't. I'm surprised that you liked Reservoir Dogs, but you didn't like this one because this had a very uh Reservoir Dogs feel to it. Exactly. Now, now this one is interesting, and we'll get to that later. But uh, going into it, like I said, you know, Tarantino, I either absolutely love what he does or I really don't like it. 
Like, there's no middle ground. None of his movies that I've seen so far are other okay. So I was kind of just curious, you know, what am I going to get with The Hateful Eight? I also have a buddy of mine who has, this is one of the movies that he's constantly bugged me to see. Mm -hmm. So as soon as we finished recording last week, I immediately shot him a message and was like, hey, guess what? We're watching for the podcast, Hateful Eight. And he's like, it's about damn time you're going to watch that movie. Nice. So... So, yeah, yeah. I, I was excited, looking forward to it. Well, it's, I mean, it is what it is. So it's funny because when this was first, so this kind of had some, contra- not really controversy, I guess, leading up to it, but some uh, some mishappenings, some possible uh, undercutting because the script got leaked. And I know Tarantino was a little, um, well, we call it rectal angina in the medical world. But to you plebes out there, you probably say butt hurt. Um, so he wasn't really wanted to move forward with it and when someone was talking about it originally and i saw the poster i honestly thought that this was going to be the revenant story because you know i know that that was announced around the same time and they were going to be coming out i mean they came out the same year so i was totally confused at first i was like why wouldn't he want to do that movie it's going to be amazing but then you know i i learned later so it's interesting that it competed with star wars and the revenant which were two huge box office films at the time um, I'm curious yeah, but, if it even held its own now looking at the box office stuff but the thing the thing about that is Disney um, pretty much the rights owned to Quentin Tarantino no just kidding <laughs> <laughs> I mean, pretty soon that's, some, that's something actually that's something I want to bring up later but so yeah no he um, he released this movie he wanted to do the the road show the old school movie release you know everybody shows up dressed up and you get a you get a program and there's an overture and like, it was like an experience. It wasn't just a movie and they wanted to, they wanted it to be shot or projected uh, on 70 millimeter projectors. And most, uh, most theaters didn't even have those anymore. So Weinstein, like the company went around and bought a bunch of projectors and trained the people to operate them. And, um, and it was just a, it was just a big shame that it didn't do so well in the box office. Because and it was out, I think it was out like a week or two before Star Wars, but Star Wars pretty much owned the the rights to all the theaters everywhere because right. if it was going to be that it was the biggest movie, biggest grossing movie of all time, and no theater was going to you know fight with the Hateful Eight and Weinstein and or much and less this, fight with Disney for that matter because. If you've yeah. been paying attention to the press lately, Disney's been bullying theaters into the new yeah, Star that's, Wars that's coming exactly. out. Exactly. That's something else. That's a couple of things I wanted to bring up in this too. And and then that is it was just like it was it sucked because this movie would have been so gorgeous right. on that screen that I watched Star Wars four times on. Well, four <laughs> the thing times. about that more like though, four times. I have, I have family. They wanted to see it. They bought tickets to I may have bought tickets three times. Whatever. Let's move on. The thing about that, though, is when it comes to box office sales, and this is not to say that Disney is not guilty, uh, potentially guilty of any mispracticing, you know, malpractice when it comes to how they handle the release of their movies. But that's why you don't release a movie two weeks before Star Wars. It's true, Tarantino. Well, but the the issue was he was it was supposed to be released a long time ago, but like you mentioned earlier, the script got leaked, and he right. contemplated not even making the movie in the first place, the, and he was just going to write a book out of it. But he changed wait a his mind, month obviously. and then release it after Star Wars is done <clears throat> destroying the box office. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's a little bit of like budget issues. Like if you, you can't just hold on to the project until you're ready to release right, it sort right, of thing. Right. I'm sure that has something yeah, to do with it. Maybe the hype would have died down or right. who, who knows. And I'm, planning to get all those projectors and train the people to run the projectors. That's what's crazy to me is I wonder how much yeah. manpower and, and money they spent doing something well, that was almost unnecessary. Yeah. It, it was unnecessary. <laughs> and, and when you take even a step above that, why would Weinstein, the company... Uh, not the rapist. The why would, alleged alleged rapist? Please. Why would um, innocent until proven guilty? <laughs> okay. Why would uh fuck? I lost my train of thought. Yeah, because you're too busy. Oh, no, no, no. So why would they? Why would they condemning people? <laughs> why would they? Why would they put all this money and risk into this project? Um, it just didn't make any sense to me. But I, 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 I'm happy they did it because you know it was. It went against the traditional Hollywood uh, try to make money thing. It was more about the art of film, which right. is so rare. So, right. Hmm. I got mixed feelings about that, but yeah, I at least appreciate what they were trying to do. Fair enough. So we, we all we all had our our mindsets going into this film for sure. Starting out this movie, I don't know. Tarantino is always a, he's he's a clever filmmaker. I feel like he's not just putting something on screen just to have it there. I feel like there's usually a purpose for something being there. So the in, like going into this movie, the intro and the, the opening of it is this big impending blizzard and this harsh winter land. And, and I've been to Wyoming and I'm sorry if we have any listeners in Wyoming, but fuck Wyoming. Did and you this, say butt fuck? Yeah. <laughs> this they shot movie, it in Telluride, Colorado, though. Oh, I, I used to snowboard in Telluride all the time. Nice. See Forever is one of the best runs ever. Anyway, um, <laughs> Wyoming is... that's all i gotta say (laughs) it's just especially (laughs) post civil war too like there's literally nothing like there's nothing there there's literally nothing now but there's (laughs) yeah exactly it's like five hundred thousand people in the entire state like huh i'm sure it's more now because i'm sure that sense is probably old but yeah so it's it's i don't know i was talking to um a staff sergeant that i was on uh duty with the other night and he was saying Oh, I didn't like that movie because the way they ended it, you know, they, they kill everybody off and spoiler alert, but, uh, it's a little late. Anyway, you know how the show goes. So Just assume he, we're going to get into spoilers. Yeah, exactly. Like, so he was upset yeah. that, you know, they killed everybody off and stuff. And I was like, well, if, if you, depending on how you interpret the beginning of the film, they kind of tell you that right off the bat. Cause everyone's trying to escape this impending doom <laughs> and they all end up going to the same epicenter and of course they're all going to die. I, I knew it from the get go. So I was, I was curious to see how the story played out, right. but I, I really enjoyed the, the beginning of this film, man. I was captivated. I was intrigued and I personally prefer movies. Well, I can't say I prefer movies. I enjoy it when a movie pulls it off. Well, when there's not very many scenes or locations or set changes, because then the, the dialogue, the story and the characters really have to keep you captivated and carry your attention. And if you think about this movie, it breaks down to stagecoach, maybe the barn, and then the rest of the movie shot in the haberdashery, you know? Mm-hmm. And they did a really good job keeping my attention. I, I didn't, didn't once check the, t- the time to see how the pacing was doing. And that first like 20 some odd minutes of dialogue between Kurt Russell and Samuel Jackson Holy shit, that was a good time. I really enjoyed that. I was just, I was really digging their characters. I'm so glad Kurt Russell's like 
doing stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I really like that actor. He's done some some questionable stuff in the past, like uh, Soldier mm-hmm. or whatever the hell that was. But uh, everybody will do something for money. Yeah. When you work with Tarantino, it's pure art, and yeah, yeah, they don't care about the money. No, nah, it was it was great, man. Uh, Chris, what, what about you, man? What'd you think about the the beginning of this film and our and our setup to our awesome story? Instantaneously, from the very first frame of this movie, I was kind of struck at kind of the opening scenes. Whereas just basically establishing shots of the environment of, you know, it's just like trees and snow and mountains and hills and all this stuff. Mountain. The way it was only one mountain. Yeah. I'm sorry. Wow. Yeah. I don't want that that. state to get any more credit than it's due. It's one mountain. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, but I was really struck that it's it's actually it was a very gorgeous. uh, You know, scenery like they don't it was really beautiful and given that i knew it was a tarantino film and i knew that meant most of the principal cast is probably gonna die uh i thought it automatically struck a a sort of a um a contrast with what you know is impending violence you know and and then when people started talking that's that's when I started to fade out. Oh, I did actually really? check. The yeah, dialogue man. was so good though. The dialogue Dude, the was good. Part of a Tarantino film. I'm aware of that. The dialogue was good. There was just so damn much of it. <laughs> and and it's like to what end? <clears throat> and no, not right off the bat. I don't want to say right oh. off the bat because I like the introduction of the characters. I like the I like the beginning. I will say. Um, I think when I started to get lost, I, I was probably about 45 minutes into the movie. So, so the beginning, it did a really good job of setting everything. And I liked, I liked the tense sort of respectful relationship between the two bounty hunters. Yeah. I really kind of liked their dynamic. Uh, the bounty hunter and the hangman. I really liked the way they played off each other. You know, Kurt Russell and Samuel L. Jackson, they're pretty great. Can't argue with them. Um, but in, in doing research for this, um, and I was looking at the cast, and holy crap. Mm-hmm. Like, every time they introduced someone, I was like, I know who that is. I know that character. I know that actor, and that actor is really good. So right off the bat, when they're introducing all the characters, I, you know, that was really good. It was cast, I think I thought incredibly well. Like, and that was something that struck me really early on. Um, overall, like the very beginning did manage to 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 keep my attention and grab me and, and pull me in. So so the very beginning, the the beginning was atmospheric. It was you got a a good sense of the dread of this storm is coming. We better hightail our ass out of here and find any sort of shelter we can, kind of a thing. So I, I really kind of dug the beginning, the opening. I thought it was really good. Jones, I want you to wow me with some technical <laughs> magic. I want to feel like I just visited Bill Nye's Science Emporium for filmmaking. I don't know if that's a thing, man. Well, it is now. Okay, I'm going to call Bill Nye. This is our podcast. We can 
fucking make up whatever the hell we want. Yeah. Fan fiction. Tickets are a thousand dollars. Bill Nye and Neil deGrasse Tyson have sex. <laughs> All right. See, now you took it too far. <laughs> have anyway. you been looking at my journal? <laughs> That's where I got the idea. Uh, no. So fair enough. I mentioned at the beginning of overture. So the opening of the movie starts with just music and landscapes. And that's like the traditional way to start a play. There's like this musical intro, essentially, and it's just all orchestral. So that that was what was going on there with um, we're just seeing snow um, and, and the music. Um, not there, there was not little... John Snow, but just the actual right. precipitation snow. Right. For any listeners that are confused. Or Aegon Targaryen for all the people who wanted to be spoiled. Whoa, anyway. whoa dangerous territory, my friend. Moving on. So then <laughs> how are you guys talking about? Shut uh, up, nerd. Anyway. Uh, anyway. So, yeah, it, and it, the movie is friggin' gorgeous because it was shot. It's a 65 millimeter camera uh, with uh, a lens and then eventually the focal length is 70 millimeters, which is it's, it's hard to explain what that means. But when you look at like if you just go to the IMDb page, like the opening picture they have is the opening landscape of the movie you see so much information and it's just such a massive wide shot and it's just so gorgeous and and film picks up information that digital can never pick up i'm not so much of a film snob as much as tarantino is but uh it was beautiful and the in the uh, overture and the establishing shots showing you that like you said the the blizzards coming and so not only did it pay homage to old school movies <clears throat> and movie going experience, excuse my cold here. Um, it also set up the movie and said, all right, this thing's, this snow's coming and they got to get out of the snow. So it did a bunch of, bunch of things, right. right. Um, and you see, uh, and then you see Samuel Jackson and their first, uh, interaction with what was her name? The Daisy Dahmer, Daisy Dahmer <laughs> and hearing Kurt, hearing Kurt Russell say that was just so funny for some reason. But yeah, uh, and they introduced the hangman, and I disagree. the The dialogue for me is the best part because, like you guys have both said, we know they're all going to die. That's not the point. The point is, what happens in this movie? <laughs> How do they get to that point? And you can't do that without dialogue. And man, this guy next to Aaron Sorkin, he's he's the best. That dialogue. Yeah, and it was, uh, I don't know, I, I went back and I watched the uh, the stagecoach scene a couple times just because, like, I don't know, I think Chris was the one that said it, that they had, like, a respective animosity kind of between them. Like, mm -hmm. they were they were old friends, kind of well, old acquaintances. They really knew, yeah. Yeah, they knew each other, they had the same job, but at the same time, like, I'm here for my money. You're here for your money, so you just sit right the fuck over there, <laughs> and we'll work this out, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was such. And it a showed good time. it showed his trust issues too. I forgot to mention that point. For like right off the beginning, it showed um, what's his name? Kurt Russell's character, you uh, John Ruth. It showed his trust. Some couples counseling now. Yeah, no, I mean like and stuff, dude. no, no, no. <laughs> put it, he told him to put on the uh, the handcuffs and right. like. Yeah, he didn't trust the the guy who called himself a sheriff. Like, it just showed like he was pretty headstrong. Sorry, cut you off. No, you're good, man. Uh, 
And then they introduce Walter Goggins, or Walton Goggins, sorry, excuse me, uh, who is the alleged sheriff. I always thought that was hilarious that no one could yeah. really decide if he was the sheriff or if he wasn't the sheriff. Right. And it was an ongoing joke. It was really funny. Yeah. Speaking of ongoing jokes, there's a few of them in this movie, and I was dying. That fucking door, man. That was like one <laughs> yeah. of the most hilarious things throughout you this entire. Gotta kick it open. <laughs> like... And everybody repeats it, and like, yeah, it's like a, it's like a game boards. of telephone. Two boards. <laughs> it's like an old western game of telephone. <sighs> so kind of going into the cast here, like Walton Goggins, love the guy. Like uh, I'm watching Vice Principals on HBO right now. Yeah, so fucking funny in that show, man. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, he's such a he's such a great actor. I was excited to see him in this. And of course, Tim Roth. I feel like Tim Roth is a staple in any Tarantino film. Well, almost any Tarantino film, you know, he's coming back from Reservoir Dogs and all that stuff. But I really want to talk about um, Michael Madsen. I feel like that mm-hmm. guy's career wouldn't exist without Tarantino. No disrespect Mr. Blonde. to him, but I just... Yeah, it all started with Reservoir Dogs, and essentially, I mean, he did more than that, but... But I just, does he do anything else? <laughs> I mean, I know his, his filmography, he's got like a ridiculous amount of credits, but like the only things that I can think of him being in is Tarantino Project. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, yeah, I don't know. Just loves working with him. Uh, yeah, you know, I guess. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. So yeah, the, the dialogue, like I said, I'm, I'm a man of uh, appreciating when there's limited sets. So kind of going into positives for, for my take, I feel like we're all going to echo, well, two out of the three of us are going to echo each other on the dialogue, so I don't want to get super into that. But for me, the, the door skit was hilarious. Mm-hmm. And, and then, of course, Channing Tatum just kind of popping out of the basement. <laughs> I, I don't know why. <laughs> Adios, huevos. Yeah, I don't know why I enjoyed that <laughs> scene so much. And then Samuel Jackson's, I don't even want to say it was overacting. It was perfect for each mm-hmm. scene that he's in. Like he, he killed it, man. He, he absolutely crushed this movie. And yeah. I would like to see him in more leading roles uh, in the future. Cause yeah, he just, yeah, that's the first job. time he was top billeted, but yeah, in this movie, it didn't really mean anything. Cause it was like, everybody was pretty much equal in the right. story. Chris, what you, what you, what you got, man? I want to hear what what maybe few positives you have. Oh, no, I. That's the thing about this movie. This is the first Tarantino movie that I've ever seen that comes in more middle of the road than any of the others. It has things that I absolutely love about it and thought were just fantastic. And then it has aspects that I just really didn't like. The Mm -hmm. movie itself is a metaphor for my overall views on Tarantino's work. I either love it or I hate it. So I have a lot of positives. I had a lot that I loved about this movie. The dialogue. Yeah. Okay. It's, you know what? Tarantino doesn't get points for dialogue anymore. That's just how it is. Water is wet. Dogs bark. Cats are assholes. Quentin Tarantino writes great dialogue. It's just how the world works. But I thought the cinematography was fantastic. Like it kind of almost reminded me of a Kubrick saying every frame of painting. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. kind of all that's a little bit how I it's a little bit of the 
the the kind of the view that I got off of this movie, the vibe that I got off of this movie is it was really good looking. Like every scene was like not overly shot. But just enough to add to any tension and drama or or humor that the the scene was attempting to convey. So I thought it was filmed incredibly well. Yeah, I want to kind and of jump in on that real quick and uh, just to add a little two cents to that before you continue. There's a scene where Samuel Jackson, he still got his uh, his hat on. You know, he just came in from the cold and he grabs some coffee and drinks it. And he's pissed off at the time because he's I think he's looking over at the general. If I remember correctly. Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, and he's also he's also taking everything in, like the fact that there's they say it all later and like no hats, you yeah. know, the, the no exactly. Mexican sign, yeah. all that kind of stuff. He's, he's taking it all in investigation. But yeah. he goes to drink the coffee and the mixture of him being cold, coffee being hot and him exhaling at the time. It just looks like all the steam billows out from underneath his hat. And I just thought that was such a well shot. Like it was so cool. Mm-hmm. I remember like, oh, my God, that was awesome. Like just thinking as soon as it happened, like it, it broke my immersion but in a good way, you know? Uh, yeah. Well, they, they made, they cooled that set to, um, 35 yeah, degrees like or something like that. Yeah. yeah like one degree Celsius. Yeah. So that they had real steam from their mouth. It's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Chris, go ahead, man. I just, no, no problem. You're, when you talk about cinematography, man, you reminded me of that scene and it was just so awesome. Oh, of course it absolutely was. And the, the performances, I mean, you can write the best dialogue on the planet. You can write the the best dialogue a script has ever seen. And if you don't have the right people performing it, your movie is still going to fall flat. And in this, there was no mediocre performances. I felt. I felt every actor, and whether their their part was small or large, just nailed it, just hit it out of the park. And in doing research for this, I saw that Jennifer Jason Lee got a lot of praise for her role, for her performance. And holy shit, guys, I agree. Like, I was blown away by her because she was equal parts grody and smarmy. And yet snot the- rockets. Yeah, yeah. And and yet, you know, there was still a a bit of a a, like a human element, like when she asked to play the guitar. Right. Mm -hmm. She was like super crass, though, too. It's funny because. Right. First time she meets Samuel Jackson, she immediately just starts throwing out racial slurs and Kurt Russell just elbows her in the face. (laughs) Um, And a, a very interesting bit of trivia that I found about the the scene where she she uh sings where she plays the guitar and oh plays the here songs. we go oh mm-hmm. you you saw that too oh i knew about it like a while ago because oh, i used to work in I a guitar didn't... shop and i sold martin oh. guitars yeah oh wow oh wow uh so the first the first little bit was that apparently that that scene that that actually was performed live like she actually sang mm-hmm. that live that wasn't like pre-recorded or anything like that is is common but it's tarantino it's art right so Apparently, when Kurt Russell's character, when the hangman gets all pissed off for some random ass reason and decides to grab the guitar from. Uh, what's her name? What Daisy. Call her? Daisy. 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 When they 
when he goes and grabs the guitar from Daisy and smashes that shit, apparently that was not a prop, but an actual antique 1870s Martin guitar on loan from a museum. And apparently it was supposed to be swapped out by a copy that was going to be destroyed, but that didn't happen. So when... So ev apparently everyone on set knew that was like this priceless, you know, antique. Except for Kurt except Russell. Except Kurt Russell. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> Jennifer Jason Lee, when, when Daisy like jumps and freaks out a little bit when he smashes the guitar, that's because Kurt Russell just smashed this irreplaceable guitar. And, and was that like, was the last time Martin ever worked with uh movies yeah. again yeah they're not. but yeah i uh i watched her reaction a few times just because it that it's funny because she's a great actress but that was real actual <laughs> panic on her face yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh i would i would love to see the the b-roll right after that like <laughs> oh for sure for sure yelling at him yeah, yeah. <laughs> well and and so i i attribute that to his um Tarantino's love for doing one shot, like one take, oneers is what they're called, so that the camera was just on her the whole time, but you can see things going on in the background and the story was still going on. And I think Kurt Russell was just thinking, all right, this is just all one take. There's not going to be a cut where we replace the guitar and and I take like he just thought it was all one take. And I I kind of blame that on on Tarantino. <laughs> oh, for sure. And given well, I don't know, I don't know Tarantino personally, like we know. Uh... Christopher yeah, Nolan I mean, and stuff, I, you know. I mean, yeah, I had lunch with him and Christopher Nolan last week. Yeah, so. we hang out. We hang out with the Noel, as we call him, yeah. on the regular. But Quentin, we never, we never get to talk to. Well, I don't get to. But I'm, I'm wondering if deep down inside, subconsciously, there was intention there. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. Well, I'm just glad they a, kept the shot. Yeah, there is a quote. Uh, I don't know who it's attributed to, but there is a quote about that where it says, and I'm quoting directly, Tarantino was in a corner of the room with a funny curl on his lips because he got something out of it with the performance. Mm. So I don't know. Mm. Maybe, yeah. maybe he was, Ooh, maybe he kind saying. of did the, maybe it was the sort of thing like, you know, when someone knocks on the door and you don't really feel like getting it. So you're just kind of like slowly start getting up out of your chair like, oh, oh, I'm going to get it. And then someone else gets a door and you're like, oh, okay, you got it. Never mind. It's all good. Maybe it was like that where he's like, ah, oh, or maybe he probably... told everybody but Kurt Russell on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I should tell Kurt Russell not to smash that guitar, huh? Uh, well, hold on. We'll do it right after this take. You know, there's no way we're going to get it first try, you know, at all. Uh, uh, oh, look, it's smashed. Darn. Cut. We're good. Oh, by the way, that was, uh, you know, one of one of a kind. So that was yeah, the only joke. take we're doing. Yeah. 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 yeah we had so, we had Martins and Taylors in the guitar shop and they uh, they do they do strange things with antique guitars. So uh, there's a series of guitars that are made out of the Liberty tree, which was the tree that was cut down to make the desk for when they signed the declaration of independence and all that. So they mm. had some wood left over and they luthiered that into some guitars. And quite frankly, they sound terrible uh, just because it's not great wood for musical instruments, but they're very pretty. It's more symbolic. Yeah. yeah. Cause they have like an American flag inlay and all this stuff. It was like a, I don't remember like a 12 or $15,000 guitar. And it just sat in the case in the corner and, like one or two people a year would come look at it, but no one ever bought it, at least when I was working there. So it's just, 
it's funny to think that, you know, this guitar is probably sitting in a corner somewhere, living a nice, happy, non-played life. And next thing you know, it's <laughs> obliterated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So to round out my positives, I, I was saving my number one positive for last. And then I'll, I'll concede the floor. The absolute on top of all the other things that I said, which I absolutely loved. It wasn't like this was OK. No, I loved everything that I mentioned before. Absolutely loved it and felt it was great. The ending. When things finally started happening, holy crap. I was finally engaged again. Hmm. I loved the ending. I loved how it ended. It just seemed really not not out of nowhere. But just the way it was constructed, you still had so many of these am, ambig, ambiguous, you know, factors in play. Does is there really a gang of 15 men waiting to go on a slaughter spree? You know, is the guy really the sheriff? There were still so many little things. And, and especially the scene where Daisy is trying to convince the alleged sheriff to shoot Samuel L. Jackson's character and then take the bodies of all the criminals that were killed and uh, presumably have bounties on them and then basically go back to his to his town where he's going to be the sheriff and turn in a bunch of bounties and get rich and live a happy life. For a bit there, I actually thought that that was going to happen. I thought he was straight up going to shoot him. And when you don't know what's happening with an ending, when you don't know exactly how it, uh, it's going to end, that to me is huge. That above all else is what will make a movie good or bad. It has. I hate starting a movie and instantly knowing this is exactly how it's going to end. Hmm. Which, yeah, it ruins a lot of movies for me. It's why I don't like a lot of movies, really. Did you like Memento? Yeah, because I still had no idea how they got to that end. Just because you know, Memento and this film are actually a very good case. Memento showed you the very final scene in the movie, or the, the very final, like, couple seconds of the actual story. But you still had no idea how you got there. This movie, you just knew by proxy of just who was making it that there was just going to be a bunch of people who were going to die. So you knew all bets were off in terms of, you know, the cast and the characters and who was going to live. So, but regardless, you didn't know how you were going to get to that point. And I just, yeah, I absolutely loved the ending. Like, I want to watch this movie over again and just start right at, like, the, the final act and just watch that over again. I agree. I really enjoyed the ending. Uh, there was some definite moments of is is he going to shoot him? Is he going to side with mm -hmm. them? Are they going to kill her? Is you know who's going to take the money? Is anybody even going to walk out of this place? And yeah, they did a pretty good job of kind of leaving that up in the air. Um, yeah. But it did feel like there was still some closure though, because they say like we both know we're going to die, so the only thing we can control is how we take this bitch out to quote the movie you know <laughs> <laughs> and i thought it was pretty fitting and they they uh you know they kind of honored kurt russell's character in that way because he was the only bounty hunter that you know 
brought them in specifically to be hanged instead of just shooting them in the back and stuff like other bounty hunters did, or even like Samuel Jackson talked about doing. So yeah, I really enjoyed the ending. I, um, and I, hopefully I don't steal this away from Joan. I feel like you might be getting ready to talk about it. So I'll, Whatever, man. I'll, I'll, I'll throw it out there. And if you do have more to expand on, then awesome. But didn't this kind of feel like it was paralleling the thing? Yeah, that that's his. That was his exact um, inspiration. He's been quoted saying oh, like he wanted to make okay. his like well, now I feel not like his version, idiot. but <laughs> it's his homage to the thing. I did not know that. Well, now I feel like a moron. But well, it's new. <laughs> yeah, that's it, it. Is that's a good point, yeah. and that's something I was going to make too. Yeah. Is I just yeah, yeah, like it was especially when the the uh, coffee was poisoned, and they're like, now we're going to find out who did this. You're yeah, going to bleed into a Petri dish, and I'm going to stab it with a hot coil. <laughs> in, instead of a monster whodunit, it's a Western whodunit. Yeah. But yeah. Oh, that was fantastic. And of course, the thing even had an ambiguous ending in terms of, you know, was he, was he the monster? Was he not the monster? I don't know if you guys have heard all the different fan theories circulating around the thing. Um, That's what makes it fun. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's great. Yeah. Hopefully we get that movie someday. Yeah, that'd be so good. Anyway, go ahead, go ahead, Jones. Hit me with your slap me in the face with your positives, man. I'm I'm curious. Dirty. All right. Uh, wow. I, Chris, I I understand what you're saying. I do agree. Uh, Quentin Tarantino is the bear that shits in the woods. There's no secret to that. We get it. But his dialogue is is important, and I'm going to bring it up because not only through the performances and the blocking and the, the lighting and all that stuff. The dialogue really creates this tension that, like, you can't create with anything else. And you have no idea sometimes what these characters' motivations are. And you know there's always some other selfish, ulterior motivation. So my number one thing I loved about this movie was that you always felt tense. Even when you felt like you knew what was going on, even all the way up to the very end, there was always that chance that the sheriff could turn around and shoot (laughs) Sam Jackson in the face. Uh, and then bring Daisy Domague in and they could finish the movie that like the whole movie was just like, what is going to happen next? So much that when there wasn't even any dialogue, they were, they were setting up the spikes and then like the chain out to the outhouse that that whole scene was just so tense. And it, you had no idea that any, nothing even happened, but you just always had this sense of dread, like that everybody is going to die and you don't know how. And you don't like it, but you like it because it's entertaining. Um, but yeah, so I, I I think that it's the most important thing to any Tarantino movie. And the, I'll agree with you, the cinematography, it, on some exceptions though, because like he he does this like spotlight thing in all of his movies where he'll put a spotlight up like on top, and it'll it creates this really cool image where it's like dust falling and like all this kind of cool, cool looking stuff, but it's pitch black outside and they have candles for light. And I don't know where this giant bright lights coming from. And that takes me, that's my negatives. Anyway. Uh, yeah, you mentioned it. It was like, um, a whodunit thing. They, he makes a whole bunch of, uh, homages, uh, the thing and his own movie reservoir dogs. Mm-hmm. And, um, just a whole bunch of stuff that he that he mixed together to make this movie. It was obviously to me, I, I I didn't feel like it was an original idea, but it was his original take on all the ideas that you know he grew up watching and and making. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I could sit here and talk to you about his blocking and his directing, and and but primarily he makes a film, and you know what you're gonna get. It's anxious. It's fucked up. It's funny. It's that was one thing I was really surprised with was the humor. I never thought that I would ever laugh at a, a woman getting elbowed in the face. Um, <laughs> was that, that was not funny? Great. I that love was that funny. Line. But then you're like, wait a second. <laughs> you just when beat I, a woman. <laughs> when I elbow you real hard in the face, that means shut up. Right. That was fantastic. And then, like, yeah, just all the all the they did some really cool old school, like split focus shots and a whole bunch of different things, and it was it was really. To me, it was a treat to watch this movie because it was just a guy who wanted to make art. He didn't have like a huge budget. I mean, he had a pretty large budget. 44 million, right? Yeah. But what Tarantino's always done is he's been known to take a large budget, make it like, I don't know, 10 million short of that budget, and then just pocket the pocket rest or do whatever. Just, just to show that he. Coke, you and, don't need. Coke and hookers. That's what he's spending on. Exactly. And feet. He loves feet. Um, but my final thing is, weird. no, that is his thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. if you've ever read yeah. anything about him, he's got this weird Did foot fetish. And in some uh, movies, he even. Oh, in uh, uh, in Pulp Fiction. Dust to, in Pulp, Pulp Fiction from Dust Till Dawn. Yeah. Uh, Grindhouse. There's like a scene where she's. Yeah. He's always got, got his feet in there. Salma Hayek shoves her feet in down his throat in From Dust Till Dawn. Yeah, and he <laughs> so. loved that. That's what he he actually and he probably was working for, for Weinstein this thing. whole time. Yeah, it all comes together. <laughs> Conspiracy Illuminati confirmed. My my final up that I want to bring up though is just the the ability to portray this theme um, of moral ambiguity, like injustice and stuff. So like, right. Nobody in this movie was a good guy. Not yeah. one person. Maybe maybe the people that got murdered at the beginning to. Like, well, yeah. I don't know, two-thirds into the movie, which was actually at the beginning. We could argue the bounty hunters, though, might have been decent people, decent earth. That's what I'm saying. Decent-ish. That's what I'm saying. If those people exist today, you know, we would, they would be in prison for life because you can't do that shit. Have, like, you have can't you just not kill heard somebody. of Dog the Bounty Hunter, the big bad dog? Dog. <laughs> yeah. But I, I loved I loved the theme and and how they pulled that off. It reminded me, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. Pretty old. It's one of one of the best movies though. It's Twelve Angry Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah. It's it reminded oh, me yeah. of that where they Ooh, they're just deli- movies great. Yeah, if they're deliberating, you know, murder, and they're they're talking about all this, and everybody, the twelve men each have a different take, and it just it's so character driven and, and interesting. I feel like this this achieved that too. Hmm. That's all I got. I, I'll talk for I'll talk for days for him. Yeah, no, this is a great film. So. Let's beat it up a little bit. I know Chris is kind of chomping in the bit, so I'll get mine out of the way real quick because I don't have very much to say. Uh, I oh god, and it's not really even really a negative. It's just it kind of turned me off, and it's just a personal bias, and that's fine. But what what's his name? I'm trying to remember his name here. Hold on, two second. Bruce Dern, you motherfucker, you killed John Wayne. In the Cowboys, and I have yet to forgive you for that. So seeing your smug face in this movie, oh, I was so glad he was the first one to get shot. (laughs) (laughs) 
And nobody even like batted yeah. an eye, and they're just like, eh. Well, but it's really funny though because if, when you go back into or when you get further into the movie and you get to like all the the setups and stuff, or maybe I guess the payoffs for what we didn't know is right. He was literally nobody to any of those people. <laughs> he was just there. <laughs> And yeah, they they were they were gonna kill him, you know, at the, the get go, but um, they decided to keep. He him was there. set dressing or whatever they called him. Yeah. yeah, they kept him there just for the the yeah for the sake of making it look like there was people there. Um, but there are some things that I just, I don't know. I feel I I lost trust. Um, the civil the or the Abraham Lincoln letter. I guess I didn't really figure out the character choice of having this fake ass letter. Cause he's like, it got me on the stagecoach. Like, yeah, but you didn't write a fake letter just so you could get on a stagecoach in the middle of a blizzard one day. Like that's not where that came from. So I just wanted more of an idea of the purpose of that. And then, um, what was the other one? Damn. I just totally had a brain fart. Well, why do you think of that? I, I kind of disagree with that, but, I feel like he he explained it, and he he was just like you know it's hard to be a a black guy post uh, Civil War, right. even though even though the slavery ended, uh, you know it's still nice to have this letter in my pocket so white people don't bother me. Mm-hmm. I I kind of got it, but huh. I see what you're coming from though. Cause yeah, I just it felt kind of forced into the movie. Yeah, it was just uh, this huge. It was a huge thing for Kurt Russell, you know, and it was. Uh, I don't know. I guess you got to wonder if, if Kurt Russell's character would have had a lesser opinion of Sam Samuel Jackson's character if he didn't have the letter. Is that what I'm made to think or supposed to believe? Or I don't know. But it was just I would have wanted. Know, but it certainly, more. it certainly made him sad when he found out <laughs> it was a lie. Yeah. And then going on to that, Samuel Jackson starts telling the story about killing the general's son. And now I got to wonder how much of that is bullshit. And obviously he was just trying to goad the guy into picking up the weapon. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. He wanted to set up a self-defense murder sort of thing. Yeah. And that's what I meant by moral ambiguity of justice. Yeah. But yeah, those, those are really like the only two scenes that I didn't appreciate as much as the others. Other than that, it was a, an enjoyable movie all around for me. I, I was pleasantly surprised and it was very well received on my end so chris what do you got man trash this movie do it you know you want to well i want to preface this think of all the hateful things we've said about dead silence i enjoyed this movie freddy in the sky I liked this movie <laughs> it's a good movie and all your shitty horror movies I, i'm glad <laughs> i watched this movie i don't regret watching it i just wanted to say that right off the bat But the pacing was terrible. Not again. Now, don't get me Not wrong. Again. I have nothing wrong with dialogue-heavy, atmospheric movies where they slow burn and a slow build towards a climax. This movie felt about 30 minutes too long. It was a pretty you long the whole movie, scene. It was like three hours. <laughs> you mentioned, like, the whole scene with the general. Yeah. That The general as a character, that entire scene, and everything involving the character served absolutely no purpose. Yeah. What? We need proof that Samuel L. Jackson is a badass that'll kill people? Well, he's carrying around two dead bodies. Three. He had three. Oh, three. Mm-hmm. My bad. My bad. So, you know, it, 
at, at no point did I feel that we needed to see him do that or talk about all that. It just seemed really forced and just shoehorned in there because, well, we got to have a story about making some guy, you know, suck a dick for some reason. It just and, and when I have a problem with it, I felt like the movie just went on too damn long and nothing happened. There was lots of great dialogue and lots of fantastic performances, but at some point, something's got to happen. Like, something has to progress, and it just felt like nothing progressed until right at the very end. And when you have, like, a 17-hour-long movie, <sighs> you know, that really wore on me. I did check, I did do a time check mm. about four times. Like, a lot. Like, a lot? And for some reason, every <laughs> single time I did it, I was 45 minutes into the movie. It just felt like I never got past 45 minutes into the movie. Mm. I don't know why, but I did. And, you know, and like I said, I mentioned Reservoir Dogs as Reservoir Dogs is actually one of my all time favorite movies across any genre, any filmmaker, period. And that is basically just people standing in a room. Yeah. And I love that movie. So I'm perfectly OK with, again, dialogue heavy films. This one, it just. Man, the pacing killed it for me. And by the time the blood started really spilling, it took me a, a it took me a, a few minutes to actually get back into a, a frame of mind where I cared. Hmm. Like people started dying and I was just like, "Oh my god, something's happening finally." Interesting. Like I thought something was going on. Like I was actually kind of like chatting with a friend of mine who really loves the movie while I was watching it. And then I sent him a message. I was like, holy shit, something's finally happening, dude. Oh, no, just a false alarm. It was just the Mexican coming in from dumping all the, the gun parts down the. That was in the Mexican. The, uh, that was OB. The, uh, that was OB. Oh, that was OB? Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, sorry. Like, remember, you're, he you're was right, like, don't right. ever make yeah, me. Yeah, he's like, again. you fucking yeah, asshole. Yeah, yeah. Which, yeah, exactly, which I thought something was actually happening. <laughs> but nope, he was just cold. Yeah. Um, and. I absolutely hated the soundtrack. No, I dug it. The score just wore on me like nails on a chalkboard. Mm. Like, after a while, I was just like, God, dude, this soundtrack sucks. It just didn't fit. It really just there are certain parts where the, the music that was playing just did not fit what was happening, which was. Nothing, but still. <laughs> Let's see. What else do I have? <laughs> I really. And then what was with the halfway through the film or three quarters of the way, however long it was, because I lost all concept of time while watching this movie. What was with the random ass narration? Like, why did Fred Savage wander into a booth and start narrating this? Wasn't movie? Fred Savage? That was Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, it was Quentin Tarantino. It just felt like an episode of The Wonder Years. Is all I'm saying. Uh, oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, which so I know, which I know was. Uh, uh, another act of the home alone guy so the but, the the answer to that though is it was it when it was in theaters and this is not it's not okay this is not an acceptable answer but the reason why is because when it was in theaters there was an actual actually an intermission right and, no, I, and I know so, that. and it was like a recap of what had happened yeah 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 it was kind of jarring i agree with you and it's it just like out of nowhere yeah i uh honestly forgot about it so yeah no i agree it was it was kind of pointless on a dvd slash netflix release or version of the yeah, film exactly and i get the idea of multiple characters with multiple stories interweaving 
and all that kind of stuff. You know, Tarantino did that fantastically with like Pulp Fiction. Mm -hmm. And another one of my all time favorite movies, Snatch, does the same thing. Everybody. So I understand that. But it just felt too convenient that everyone knew everyone in this movie or everyone had some background or history with everyone. It just they were all in on it, except a couple people. Well, yeah, but it's like this guy knows that guy and they meet him and it's like introduce character. Have other character talk about all the stuff this character did. Continue on with movie. Introduce another character. Someone else knows this person and goes into a big monologue about this person's exploits. And that just yeah. felt really forced and convenient. And then, surprise, surprise, spoiler alert, Samuel L. Jackson knew all along. Well, when you've already have everyone know everyone and everything about everyone, that whole reveal of, yeah, I'm familiar with this place and I know shit's messed up, just falls flat because that's a storytelling, you know, trick that was used a dozen times already. You didn't reveal anything to me. And then he goes on this huge monologue, this huge speech about all of this, saying, you know, I'll bet you this is exactly what happened. Then they actually go and show you. And it's exactly what he said happens. So you're really not doing anything but showing us something you already told us. Which makes one of those two things redundant. So you could either have told us. And then we could figure it out from there. Or you could have just shown us and we could have figured it out from there. Did you need to go through a 20, 30 minute long monologue? Which I know probably wasn't that long. I'm exaggerating. But did you have to have Samuel L. Jackson go on a 30 minute monologue just to show us thir a 30 minute montage? I didn't, mi I just, I didn't mind that, though, because to me it was like, huh, yeah. he was right. No, and and. And the thing is, is don't get me wrong. I understand if 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 someone else liked the pacing, if someone else liked the the soundtrack and the score and all this kind of stuff and liked the way the characters interwove with each other. I understand completely. And I'm not going to say in any way this movie like sucked because it didn't. It just that to me, it just it just felt convenient. It just felt like, all right. Yeah, you know. So it just it made me feel that this movie wasn't nearly as clever as it thought it was. Like that's that's, I think, the best way to put it. It was clever, but it thought it was way more clever. Huh. Fair enough, man. And, and IMDb would agree with you because it's like as much as I loved it, I would have marked it a 10, but it looks like what, seven or something 7. like that. 8. So it's not like it's pretty up there. It's a good score, but. The, the way I when I was watching, I was like, man, this has got to be yeah. at least a nine. Uh, but many people but are agreeing you, with Chris. Every negative that I just maybe Chris just about. has like a dozen accounts. Maybe Chris <laughs> exactly. is the, the I, hateful. I hate it. You know, exactly. hate, hateful about the haters going to hate, no, I'm man. I'm not hateful. I'm not hateful. And I again, I want to point hater out aid. that the moment the moment the last <laughs> act started and everything started like blowing up literally and figuratively. I was all that all my negatives just went out the window and I was like, holy shit, this is pretty freaking amazing. I which I want to note that the, the visual effects were done by Greg Nicotero, the visual effects guru for The Walking Dead. I did not know that. Yeah, well, yeah. The Walking Especially Dead. Especially like the, the, the Anyway, so the uh the um the guy who did the Green Mile and oh. Shawshank Redemption. How are you gonna fire that guy? He is a mm -hmm. cinematic genius and you just raped the viewers 
of the Walking Dead show by getting rid of that guy. James. Anyway, that's just James. James. Yeah, it's okay. Anyway, Bob, Bob the Mexican, Bob the Mexican's head explodes, and I thought that was like, yeah, it was fucking gross, but it was really cool. Oh, yeah. So Channing Tatum's head also exploded, and in full disclosure, in all honesty, I fucking forgot he was in this movie until he uh, shot Samuel Jackson in the dick, mm-hmm. and then Samuel Jackson's head also exploded. Yeah, funny. But I'm pissed. It was hilarious too. He's like, "Get up here, you little sack shooter!" And I fucking died. <laughs> <laughs> just he just fucking uh, blows his head yeah. off. <laughs> yeah, it was a very bloody. I mean, all of his movies are bloody. You know, I mean, Kill Bill literally had geysers of blood spraying the ceiling. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Jones, do you do you have anything negative to say about this movie? Yeah, no, I. Believe it or not, there are parts of what Chris was saying that I agreed with um, as far as it being it, the movie thinking it's more clever than it actually is. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you on that, Chris, because I could have completely gone without the backstory reveal thing. I didn't I honestly didn't care because I, I actually was really interested in just the eight characters in the room. Mm-hmm at right. the time and i was interested just to see how that was going to happen i didn't care what happened to the haberdashery owner and uh nice sweet dave or whatever his name is i, I didn't care about that i just thought it was backstory I, I didn't really need to see what happened i didn't care that the the jody gang or whatever i didn't care about any of that i just wanted to see how this sort of thing would have played out with just these eight people and i felt like i felt like yeah i felt like the the twist, so to speak, um, didn't really have to be a twist. But without the twist, that you wouldn't get the funny um, door uh, door gag at the beginning because they shot the door open when they when they when they fucked everything up. But but that's I mean that's basically my ma- my major gripe is I felt like it threw off the pacing, which I actually enjoyed the pacing. I felt like it it felt like uh, kind of a, a rated R. Uh, oh brother, where art thou? Where it's like funny and quirky, but it can also be touching and serious. Um, I don't know. It's honestly the the, the lights and the 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 twist towards the middle two thirds part of the movie uh, were my my biggest negatives. But other than that, I really didn't have anything I didn't like about it. Well. To conclude, to wrap up everything, to bring closure to this movie, I gotta say I'm probably gonna I'm probably gonna buy it. I'm gonna add it to my Tarantino collection. Um, it might be a while before I watch it again, though. Um, I know Katie, my wife, she wanted to watch it, and I watched it without her. Ooh. Yeah, so after sleeping on the couch for three days. No, just kidding. Uh well probably Hey, I like the couch. Uh, me too. I'll man. get in trouble just to sleep on yeah, the couch. Like, it's nice being able to like kind of cuddle up to the back of the couch, you know? Um yeah. anyway. Uh <laughs> she wants to watch it, so I'll probably end up watching it again soon with her. But after that, it's probably gonna be a minute, you know. I feel like this is one of those movies that you appreciate over time and you don't just watch it back to back, you know. You don't go in the theater and see it four times like some movies and some people out there. <clears throat> Yeah, losers. Yeah, but uh, it was good, man. I, I, it's one of my favorites so far that we've done on on the podcast for sure. It's our first Tarantino film and our first Western, I believe. Ho ho. 
I'd like to see more of that genre pop up just because uh, these movies are always fun to watch. But yeah, it's 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 a definitely good one, man. Um, I don't I don't have anything else. Chris, you got anything? Uh, I definitely would would buy this movie. Okay. I probably wouldn't watch it <laughs> to be honest. Often have it on the shelf, but it's one that I would not mind having. Yeah. I have a handful of movies that I own and and have yet to watch since I bought them. Because hmm. it's just, you know, sometimes it's just nice to have it for your collection because, you know, it's definitely a good movie. So it, it would definitely get a buy for me, beyond the shadow of a doubt. Uh, in, in spite of its flaws, I thought it was still a fantastic entry into the list. And uh, it is definitely one of the one of the better films we have been forced to watch yeah we've had a couple of good weeks man i don't know what's going on here i'm a little nervous i think chris got scared of being uh being potentially fired <laughs> from the randomizer so he may be like tweaking the settings a little bit oh <laughs> jones uh yeah definitely definitely want to buy this like i said i want to do like a I just want to sit down and do a Tarantino week where I probably take a week off from work and just get a bunch of whiskey and just not shower, maybe wear a diaper, who knows, Gross. and just and just dive in, go full Tarantino, maybe even like some feet here and there, who knows. Um, but my biggest my biggest concern though, and we touched on it the kind of the opening was where is Tarantino gonna go from here because he has. A new movie coming he's working on. Kill Bill 3. Um, no, I'm serious. <laughs> no, he's actually it's listed. Well, he's yeah. he's actually trying to put together um, something about the the Manson murders, yeah. but not about Manson, but more about the his followers. Yeah. Um, I am. But all Wein about. But yeah, Weinstein let him do anything. Harvey Weinstein would let him do anything. He gave him the budget. He let him waste money on this the road show, even though it really didn't make them. Any, it, it probably operated at a loss. I don't. I'm afraid of because he's he said he's not coming back to the Weinstein company. So I'm afraid that Tarantino will not be able to make the movies that he makes now. You know, at a Paramount or Universal, something like that. Sony. Sony might. Yeah, that's true. They're desperate. So. No, he's he's. Uh... Sony is attached to the to his next project. Hmm. Well, we'll see. We'll see how it works oh, out. We'll yeah. see how much intrusion they have. Like they will, because Weinstein let him be the filmmaker that he is, and yeah, I'm that I'm nervous about that. But but yeah, I love this movie. I'm gonna buy it. I'm gonna I'm gonna start a collection, and move from there. Well, you hear? If I buy it. This will be the the what? Fourth, fourth Tarantino movie. If I buy this, it'll be the fourth Tarantino movie that I bought. I'm trying to think of how many I got. I got a few. I got like the um the collector's edition of Reservoir Dogs, where it's like in the gas can, you know. Nice. Oh, like, oh, that's open cool. the gas can to get the DVD out and stuff. Pretty cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I, I own a few as well. There's they're good movies. Um, just except for Grindhouse. Fuck that movie. That movie was interesting. It was a bad movie, but. I I bitch about this all the time. This guy actually makes a movie that he wants to make. Right. Yeah, and that's that's what I'm afraid of that he's going to lose that that ability to do that. But yeah, Grindhouse or not, I can yeah. see that point for sure. All right, culture lusters and seven sinners, seven nerdly sinners, I should say. Um, that does it for this episode, episode 25. <laughs> 
What we talked about that. Do you want to know what we're watching next week? Not, <laughs> not. Well, all right. What do you got, man? I, <laughs> I was like, you, well, I, think I guess do. we're not watching a movie. I think you do. So season one, Rick as and I'm Morty. I'm sure everybody out there knows. It seems like the world is in flux. There's a lot going on right now between all the allegations in Hollywood, the sudden passing of Malcolm Young. Yeah, that sucked. You know, even on, you know, sports. Dale Earnhardt Jr. is retiring. The U.S. men's soccer team failed to qualify for the World Cup. What the hell is going on? Is it the apocalypse? Everything is changing. Well, it's nice to know that some things are going back to how they should be. So yes, my friends, next week we are watching the 2015 film Some Kind of Hate. Sent to a reform school, an emotionally fragile student harassed by bullies inadvertently summons the ghost of a girl who helps oh him seek payback. God. Oh yes, we are back to watching shitty horror movies, my friends. All right, listen. Even the picture looks shitty. Like it's like Doesn't it? It looks like a, a camera phone picture. Oh, I know. It's going to be so Jesus bad Christ. and so awesome. But hey, it's only 83 minutes. That's with credit. So it's really only like 72 minutes. We hope. <laughs> Even I have so uh, little hope for this movie. But hey, you never know. We may be surprised. All right. Are all you fucking sad, poor, pathetic listeners that get subjected to this stuff out there in cultureless land. This marks the, the, the end of an era with our good movies. Um, <laughs> we spoke too we soon. We spoke too soon. Um, James is starting a new podcast called Only the Awesome Shit, and I'm just going to pick all the great movies in the world, and we're just going to watch that back to back. And then that'll come out next week. So, but not really, because I'm <laughs> like the torture. But uh, hit us up on Facebook. We got a pretty somewhat active Facebook group. I know we're posted on there all the time. Uh, so Seven Early Sins, you can find us there. Tweet us. That, you know, that's a thing. At Seven Early Sins. Instagram us. Send us some pictures of your shitty fucking horror movie collection if you want. Uh, that's also at Seven Early Sins. Come check me out on Twitch. I was streaming all weekend. You can see how really like just how bad I am at video games. But uh, I've got spunk or so they say. Um, the Daylight Gamer. That's my Twitch handle. Scott is rumored to be coming back. We might have the return of the prodigal son next week. I don't want to jump ahead, but I'm a little excited. And it's 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 going to be monumental. So brace yourselves for that. While you're at it, take some pictures of your feet and send them over to Quentin Tarantino to inspire that guy to make another good movie. But don't do that because that's <laughs> fucking creepy. Don't don't listen to me. Uh, <laughs> that's that's all I got. Any, you guys want you guys got anything to say? Any goodbyes? Any uh, dedications? Shout outs? Goodbye. Jesus fucking Christ, John. Chris. Go listen to some ACDC. Yeah, go. Yeah, I agree. I agree for once. Just Chris and I are on the same page there. Malcolm Young passed away. He was like, what? I don't want to say he was too young because I know Angus is like fucking 
old as dirt. He was in his mid 60s, I think, like 64. Okay, so he, yeah, he was a little young. I mean, kind of old for a rocker, but you know, a little, a little young compared to your your national average. But uh, yeah, man, it's that day. He's he's on the highway to hell now, hopefully, in a good way. <laughs> the good. He's hell. there with Bond Scott. That's all that matters. Okay. All right, guys. That's it. That's all I got. I'm done for the night. I was rambling there. I apologize. Until next time, when we watch fucking some kind of hate. Oh my god, it's gonna hurt so bad. All right. <laughs> hurt so good. Yeah. You mean. I'm James. That's Chris. We got Jones, and we're culturalists. Have a good one.